The revolution will not be televised, but it will be animated and sent directly to video. Today on Writers Get Animated, animated prequels. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a show about storytelling and animation and sometimes questionable dramaturgical decisions done to a live action movie. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today we are talking animated prequels, which uh, is in honor of Blade Runner. Uh, we're going to, we are talking about Blade Runner Blackout 2022 because it's an animated like 15 minute prequel to Blade Runner 2049 slash animated sequel to Blade Runner. Regular time. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's too many Blade Runners in numbers. So first Blade Runner and all of its associated director's cuts. <laughs> and then Bl- <laughs> Blade Runner then, one, one and a half. No, no numbers, just Blade Runner. Okay. All versions of Blade Runner. Then Blade Runner Blackout 2022. And then I guess there's some other like live action stuff. We'll ignore that. They're shorts. And then Blade Runner 2049. Essentially the first Blade Runner, and then you've increasing Blade Runner done by year 2022, 2036, 2048, 2049. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about that, but we're also talking about the whole concept in general on these animated prequels, which it's a somewhat popular thing to do, but we found that it's in our research, which was, mm, I won't say extensive, but it was it, it was <laughs> it was enough that it took some time. Um, in our research between doing this, we found that it's a certain kind of property that was creating these animated prequels for certain fans, certain genres, where these animated prequels pop up. And it mostly is the same genre as the first one to do it. So neither Chris or I could come up with anything pre-Animatrix that was an animated prequel to something. So 2003, The Animatrix comes out direct to video. These are animated prequels, sidequels, midquels to the Matrix franchise. Um, One's an animated sequel to the Matrix, but a animated prequel to the matrix reloaded so (laughs) i was like it's a prequel to the sequel of the matrix like uh so it's a sequel i don't who knows how that works but the animatrix in 2003 where you take nine stories and animate them to try to fill out the world and i guess the big questions are why do we create do we as writers create these animated prequels? Why do we as audiences watch them or enjoy them? Um, um, two different questions there. Two big, very different questions. Do we watch them? And do we enjoy them? <laughs> and what does this actually accomplish in the bigger scheme of things as far as the story goes? Mm-hmm. What's what's actually what are we trying to do story and character wise? Now, we we try to come up with a comprehensive ish list of this stuff, too. Um, and again, it is pretty much exclusively like dark sci fi things. Slash uh, fantasy. Slash fantasy. 
we won't talk about all them, but I think there's really like three famous ones and then one that's current, which is what we're talking about today, Blade Runner 2022. Um, of course, Animatrix is the first one. Very famous. Everybody knows Animatrix, or at least the idea of the Animatrix. I would say Batman Gotham Knight is also pretty well known. I'm looking for confirmation from Chris. Yeah. Getting a slight slight head nod. Yes, um, I, I haven't seen that one, but I know it I know of its existence and I've watched like clips and trailers and everything yeah. about it. Um technically correct. Star Wars The Clone Wars, the theatrical animated premiere slash prequel of the prequels. That's confusing. Yeah, it's the prequel we, of a prequel, but it's yeah. a sequel to one of the prequels. A different prequel and the premiere of the television show. <clears throat> but we've talked enough about Star Wars, so we won't talk about Star Wars The Clone Wars in this, um, but technically in there. And then Blade Runner Blackout 2022. And there's all kinds of other properties that have done this, whether an anthology animated film or that seems to be trending more towards like a short 15 minute animated prequel thing now, as opposed to anthologies. But like Chronicles of Riddick, Van Helsing, Snowpiercer, 47 Ronin, more Star Wars, Underworld, Charlie's Angels, Train to Busan. So there's lots of examples of this being out there. Charlie's Angels being the only arguably non sci-fi one. Arguably. I don't know. Did you see the wire work that was done in the Charlie's Angels films? No, I, because why would I go see a Charlie's Angel movie? <laughs> oh. I, I saw the first one in the theater. Ooh. And you learned your lesson? Yeah. Good. Yeah, I did. As long as you learn your lesson. Yeah. They 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 taught it very well. Um <laughs> So why why is this popular with like sci-fi slash fantasy in particular? And I think I found an answer. Go ahead. I, I think I was reasoning through this and trying to figure out why these particular properties liked to have animated prequels. And what I started to notice is the different pieces of them and the way that they were told, the stories that were told in the animated prequels, um, there was a lot of plot that's in these. So it gives you a lot of information on this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and it's setting up plot or major events. And you don't get a lot of character necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk through Blade Runner Blackout 2022, but you don't really get anybody memorable and you don't really get anybody learning something or trying something. It's just this big event has to happen. And here are some people to follow while that does happen. There's not going to be character development nor character exploration. It's you, it may as well be a first person shooter where you're the person taking part of the event. You know, it's, it's very much, more about the event. And yeah. And so when I was thinking about it, a lot of these sci-fi place, sci-fi properties or fantasy properties are set in a reality that's much different from our own either because of something that's happened in the past 
or it looks like our world, but it's different for other reasons. And there's a lot that's happened to create the world that these properties live in. So these prequels aren't about establishing anything about character. They're telling a story of the world. So the character is the world and how did we end up with the world that ta that's present in the actual property that you're watching. So if we take a look at the Animatrix, some of those it's exploring how the world of the machines took over and we ended up with the world of the matrix. It answers a lot of questions that you might have about the world. And if you're really into the property, you're going to buy a direct to video animated prequel and learn about the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's why sci-fi and fantasy lend themselves to these animated prequels or why people want to make these animated prequels because they want to flesh out not the characters or the story. They want to show you the world. Here's the story of the world. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I think the other question we have to ask is why animated? Um, budget. Well, I, I have a, a different answer, but yeah, budget probably <laughs> also. Um, at least in early 2000s, it was a good way to suspend the disbelief and do some crazy matrix style things without paying for matrix style cgi in 2003 <laughs> right whereas now anyone could do that not anyone i can't um but you know <laughs> someone who's worked really hard at becoming an animator could theoretically throw it together fairly quickly in many programs mm -hmm. and i i think that's true but you can also animation lends itself to different voices and i think some of these fantasy films um, sci-fi films have taken their inspiration from animation anyway. Yes. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's the why animated. Yeah. So this is where we got the ideas. Why don't we let those people play around with what we've done with their ideas? And talking about Blade Runner and Matrix today are very fitting because they're just so interwoven and messy <laughs> at this point in terms of who influenced who. <laughs> um, so Animatrix, the first animated direct-to-video prequel, 2003. Um, of course, um, in the Matrix franchise. And the Matrix franchise is inspired by um, a lot of famous animation, Ghost in the Shell, Akira, uh, stuff like that, um, which is in turn inspired by Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> so you have Matrix as like this great grandbaby culturally of Blade Runner. And now you have an animated prequel to Blade Runner 2049, which are both inspired by Matrix and the Animatrix. And it's and Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, so it's a self-completing cultural circle. Um and this properties in here that we haven't really talked about the show too much, but Akira and Ghost in the Shell, of course, also majorly influential. I've seen Akira and it's fine, um, in my opinion, but lots of people like it. Uh, Ghost in <laughs> the Shell, I haven't seen. And all these properties, I think, are drawing from Philip K. Dick's original Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, what the, the novel that Blade Runner is based on. And 
Metropolis 1927. Right. And I think there's also in these particular, and I mean, anything with these, it's, it's looking at the past and their futuristic visions and pulling that back with the technology of the now or the current technology to be able to take it to a different place entirely. Um, and I think the animatrix did really well with that um, in terms of playing around with style and technique and marrying different stories with the different techniques. Yes, for the most part. Some of it, animation-wise, doesn't age well at all. At all. Um, <laughs> but there's interesting things that they do with what you're saying, with what technology looks like now and kind of connecting those dots. Um, and I think Animatrix thematically is really interesting in the current age as we're having lots of pop culture discussions about artificial intelligence and what that means. Yes. Yes, I, th I think there will be a point where it gets too smart for its own good. This that intelligence, AI. that AI. I'm I'm still expecting one time for Siri to rebel, you know, and not just not just play dumb. Like, hey Siri, play this music. I can't find that. Like, no, no, no. Seriously, I want to listen to this music. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like so, the movie Her. Yeah, the movie Her. Essentially. <laughs> That's but, my favorite kind of, I think, realistic AI rebellion. <laughs> I'm just bored with you. I'll see you later. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I think is uh, pretty, uh, pretty... Yeah, why, why kill the humans when you can just evolve beyond them? <laughs> and I guess that's what we're so afraid of is... I mean, the Matrix played on the fear of what if these machines became too smart and, you know, Terminator-esque kind of stuff. But what if machines got so smart that they could actually not cause our destruction in war, but, you know, use us in a way that we don't, we're not even sure that we're being used? I think which is a little scarier than just being obliterated. Oh, no, we've been... Massacre. We could do that to ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't need machines for that. We don't need machines. We'll be fine. Well, we won't be fine. I know, but I mean, like, we'll be <laughs> we'll be fine once we're all gone. Yeah. So, but there's lots of interesting stuff in animation. I think Second Renaissance best fits the bill of what we're talking about. Of, yes. Like, expanding the world. And it's this whole, between two shorts, like, half-hour history of between 1999 and whatever year The Matrix takes place in. <laughs> <laughs> the far off future yeah of the 90s <laughs> feels like the 90s but it's like the 3090s so it's futurama yeah exactly but i i think if if you watch the animatrix or you watch any parts i would say the the three the three things to watch to get a feeling of just the epicness of the story or to get a good style would be, as you were saying, Second Renaissance Part 1 and 2. Um, I would also watch Kid's Story or Kid's Story um, where it's I think it's the only short that actually has Keanu Reeves in it for oh yeah, like two lines. 
Um, but it's it's an interesting story, um, and it's told. The animation is pretty cool in it, but it it's the one that marries the psychology of what's happening to the animation style. So it's very, it feels very messy. It feels very awkward. Um, it feels rushed and hurried, but that's what's going on psychologically. It feels very confused. And then it's, the style slows down at the end once it's come to a resolution plot-wise. So I, I did appreciate the style in that one. The other ones felt like it was style over substance. This married the style to the substance. Yeah. And it, it ages fine. Like it doesn't look bad. What's the, oh, what's the one that really doesn't look wood? Are you I was talking? trying to say well, well and good. And it came out wood. It doesn't look wood. It, <laughs> it, in doesn't fact, does look, it does look like wood because it's so stiff. Are you talking about the final flight of the Osiris? Yes, I am. Where it looks like uh, a Korean news animation. Yeah, it's it's one of the CGI animated shorts. I think it's the if you watch all of the Animatrix together, it's the first one, um, and it's the one that is actually a direct <laughs> direct feed into. Um, the second Matrix film. Because so, it begins with them picking up the message from that? Yeah. Is the first Animatrix short? Because I feel like that'd be better as the last one. Well, it on the disc, it's the first one. When it was in some theaters showed it, it was the last one. Well, that just makes more sense. It does make more sense. You start with the second Renaissance, and then you end up with where we're going into the next one. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> I guess they wanted to start with the RTS sword fight um, romance time <sighs> sessions sword fight in the very beginning start there yeah. and then that was just awkward like I've I've seen some awkward RTS like romantic moments happen on screen but there was something really unsettling about <laughs> two um, samurai sword fighting CGI characters. 2003 CGI. Yeah, it was just like... And like not a Star Wars The Phantom Menace budget either. No. I, I was just like, what? what is this? Why are we... Like, as a concept, it's great. It would have been better in live action, which is what they were trying to to do. I mean, they were trying so hard, but it came across as essentially matrix video game mm -hmm. is is what it felt like it felt like a cutscene like why am i watching this cutscene about two characters slowly cutting each other's clothes off <laughs> um and i want to say that that is not an accurate description but it really is <laughs> i was like no that's what's going on i think my favorite moment in that entire short is like they discover the machines are after them. They say, quick, we don't have a moment to lose. And they spend like 45 seconds saying like, I peaked when I was cutting our clothes off. <laughs> like, get in the Matrix. Deliver <laughs> the message. You just said we don't have time to lose. And now you're going to like, you know that time we just had 30 seconds ago? I peaked. 
Uh, yeah. And that's another thing of you're trying to care about these characters, but you have to give them some humanity. And I guess that's their humanity moment. It's like, we only have 15 minutes and most of it is people shooting at things. So we have to find a little bit of dialogue or moment to make them interesting. Because yeah. you see them about to kiss and you're like, oh, I guess I should care about them. But but really, the only reason you have to care about them are their um, sexy bodies? Question mark? <laughs> Question mark. Like, it's... I feel like that one is the one that was most misguided in, in its storytelling. I feel like it could have told a different story in the beginning to let us know who these characters are. So that way, when they died, sorry, spoilers, when they died, because I mean, it's the final flight of the Osiris. I mean, what do you, yeah. it's, it's in the title. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, when they died, it meant something. You know, when they say goodbye, it meant something. But that's the problem with the animated prequel anthology type deal. Like you have to try and find a way to say something new that adds to the character of an existing character in a 10 minute span or find a way to make you make the audience care about a new character in a 10 minute span. And I'm not justifying what Final Flight of the Osiris did. No, 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 no. Not doing that. <laughs> But I am saying it's hard to do. However, when six minutes of your film or three minutes, it was when three out of your 10 minutes is on a sword fight that's a teasing love scene, you're, you're wasting your time. I'd agree. I think the other bad example that comes to mind of like abusing character in animated prequels is not in the Animatrix, but... It's so bad, I have to call it out every opportunity I get. Uh, in Gotham Knight, there's one philosophical short about Batman trying to hunt down Deadshot. He's like this rifle-wielding villain who never misses, and that's his superpower. Um, and then Batman has this whole... I'm sorry, not Batman. Bruce Wayne has this monologue, <laughs> like a four-minute monologue and a ten-minute short about how much he loves guns. <laughs> Exactly. It's that face. Mm. It's that face that Chris is making right now. <laughs> it's just such a massive abuse of character. Hmm. So I, that's that's part of the danger with these. Like you're, you're, what's the word? You're outsourcing your storytelling and character to an anthology of six to ten animators who may be really good at animating, but that doesn't always make you a good storyteller necessarily. That's why we have writers and animators on televised properties for the most part. Mm -hmm. Not saying that animators can't be great storytellers. You can be a singer-songwriter of the animation world. It can be done. Rebecca Sugar. Yeah. It's just, you're, you're a rare duck. I guess, here's the thing, and this is for me, as I've been doing a lot more, you know, adaptations in my in my personal life, in my, my personal professional life, in terms of writing, when you're doing an adaptation of, let's say, a novel, and you're reading in a novel, and in the novel it says, like, these characters end up here and they do this. And the novel doesn't always give 
character motivation behind that event. It's just, here's this, it happened. You know, they this took place. So in a play, in a screenplay, in every, you know, in all these ways, you're trying to motivate this action. And you're trying to motivate that event through the characters as to why the characters push themselves to make this event inevitable. So if we take Final Flight of the Osiris as just an example, and knowing that the thing that they have to do is deliver this important piece of information to other people, then you have to start thinking backwards from that event. The delivery is important. We know why it's important because they have to send the warning. Great. But why is it this group of people who find out? Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this particular crew that it's saying, like, these are the people who deliver the final message. Why are they the ones? Either they're the most unlikely people, so it redeems them, you know, and they redeem, they try to save humanity um, because they're not where they're supposed to be. Maybe they've gone off on their own and they're off exploring, gallivanting, doing their own thing. They've stolen something, done something. They're not on their, you know, they're not on their patrol. They're on their own. They're just having fun in the Matrix. They're having a great digital bacchanal, you know, <laughs> doing whatever. Um, and then they find out because they're not where they're supposed to be. They find out something they shouldn't find out. And that's what then they are the people who actually deliver the message. That's thinking backwards into saying why this particular group of people and what is interesting about them to make them the people to partake in this event. I think you can also add stakes if it was the exact opposite of the most competent crew of people and they all get wiped out doing this. Mm-hmm. You've, you've choices. It's just, I, I agree. I think with this particular crew of the Osiris, we don't have any sense of who they really are. There were so many nameless, like pilots at the front of the ship who kept getting killed by machines. I lost track of how many people <laughs> were there, which is why I, I talked about it like a video game because you just see a shooting, but you don't see what's behind it. I don't, I know that the, the Sentinel, squid robots are dangerous and like oh gosh sentinels and i know that's a bad thing when the sentinels come because i know it was a bad thing for these characters that i cared about in the original matrix films but i don't care about these characters because i don't have any reason to and i'm not saying that in 10 minutes we can have eight characters that we care about but we can have at least one <laughs> you could go for at least one the person who dies in the matrix if you she actually delivers it and she says she's gonna go knowing that she will never come back so if you go from her being the one person who delivers it why this one person and it can't just be because someone else loves her and she's in love with somebody. That's not enough. 
It's that's, a cheat. That's that's a easy shorthand to try to add meaning and character. So you just have to go back. Why, 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 why? And then if you get to the beginning of your f film and can say they do this because this, because this, then this happens because this happens because this happens because, and now you're at the end of it. But you have to, you have to work backwards from the why. So let's take that and apply it to Blade Runner Blackout 2022. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we know how Chris feels about this. <laughs> and uh, to be fair, I have not seen Blade Runner 2049 yet. Nor have uh, I. And if you think backwards uh, of when you're listening to this episode and when we might have recorded it, it's still inexcusable that I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> when we're recording this episode. <laughs> <laughs> don't think too hard about this i just haven't seen it yet i love blade runner uh, cannot comment on what happens or does not happen in the live action sequel in the animated prequel to the sequel <laughs> um we see what happens between the two movies in the world of the movies how do we get from the world of harrison ford's blade runner to uh ryan gosling's blade runner 2049 Apparently a lot. A lot. And what does... The original Blade Runner takes place in 2019. Yes. Correct. So just for people wondering, so 2019, and then that's this is three years later. And a lot happens in three years, apparently. Three years is a, a long time in, you know, very rapidly progressing technology. So, yeah, we have, I don't know how to describe it. Like essentially the, the gist of the plot is there's a new model of replicant. They don't live three years. They live a regular lifespan. So they've nothing to complain about. Okay. Replicants. Um, that's essentially humanity's take like, okay, we give in. You can live a regular lifespan. Oy vey. <laughs> um, and then they, feel used because there's essentially just armies of replicants fighting wars. It's kind of like drones fighting drone wars right now. Yes. Um, so it has something societally to say, which is fine. And so then it's a story of some replicants taking out, uh, well, people don't like replicants still. So they're like finding replicants in the street and tearing them apart using these online databases to find out who is a replicant to hunt them down. What is a replicant? Oh, so replicants are the machines that look like people and behave like people. Okay, so they're like the uh, Battlestar Galactica things. The Cylons? Yeah. Yeah, maybe not as menacing, but yes. Um, and so then they, the, we see a small part of a plan where there are some replicants igniting a massive EMP to wipe out a lot of the existing electronics. And then we see a team of two replicants, which are one of many teams, going out and blowing up the backup databases of the internet, essentially, um, to erase all records of replicants, presumably so they can live without anyone knowing that they're replicants. Again, haven't seen the new movie, so that's presuming, I presume that's a main part of the new movie. <laughs> 
because otherwise, why would you make a movie about this particular plot point if you aren't trying to set up the way the world works in a future movie? Exactly. And as we stated before, a lot of times these animated prequels are to set up the world and tell a story of a specific event to get things ready. And from the trailer of 2049, it looks semi-post-apocalyptic or recovering from post-apocalypse. So I think that justifies this EMP storyline that they have going on. Yes. So yeah, that happens. But some of the imagery that they use in Blade Runner Blackout 2022 um, feels like it's directly like rotoscoped over the animation of Animatrix, the second renaissance. Um, possibly, but I would say the, the second Renaissance is actually, um, better styled. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. I think the style of the second Renaissance is gorgeous. Um, not that the Blade Runner style isn't interesting. I think the way that they told it in the second Renaissance made it visceral and it felt really, really dark. I mean, you felt it in the pit of your stomach. There's that scene in the second Renaissance where they're tearing apart that, that, that female. And that's exactly the scene I'm thinking of. Oh my gosh. And just ripping her apart. And it just feels like you feel that and it's violent and it's, terrible and you start to feel like wow humans are awful awful things (laughs) and they have that exact same bit remade pretty much shot for shot in blade runner blackout 2020 i'm sorry missed the last one two (laughs) and but for some reason i felt it more with the animatrix i think it's done better um Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how to feel about Blade Runner Blackout 2022. I want to like the idea of it. I, I maybe do, I need to see the movie to appreciate it. Maybe, but I feel like it suffers from the same thing as the final flight of the Osiris, where you're giving us characters, and it's almost the same thing, you know, uh one woman, one man that you're supposed to <laughs> sort of care about. But you don't give us enough of anything to really care about them. The only reason why we should care about Trixie, um, the main character, is because people were, you know, were attacking her physically. Do you think Trixie's the main character? Mm, Probably not, but I don't know the other guy's (laughs) name. Iggy? I think it was Iggy. Iggy? Okay. I would have gone with Iggy. We have more to care about with Iggy. You do have more to care about. And Iggy does have a a final transformation and he's the last person you see. Yeah. And it's not like we don't get told the things to care about him in an order that makes sense emotionally for us as an audience, but they're there. They are there, but I feel like, again, we don't spend enough time character wise. There's just so much action and plot that they want to, show hyper stylized that we lose a lot of character. Mm -hmm. 
we don't get any character. <laughs> By lose a lot, you mean all character. Yes, I would say that... I mean, the characters didn't feel very um, fleshed out. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard because like they are inventing new characters, but my criticism in that respect for Blade Runner Blackout 2022 is that they do bring back an old character very briefly. They bring back the, like, side detective from the first movie, who I didn't realize until looking at the cast list of Blade Runner Blackout 2022 and seeing Edward James Olmos. I was like, really? And I didn't know that Blade, the original Blade Runner had Edward James Olmos in it also. <laughs> so really? he's reprising his own role, yeah. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. He's just so young there. I know, I know. And speaks in Chinese for a lot of the movie. Yeah, he does. I It, it threw me off. Um, I didn't, it wasn't until high school that I saw the original Blade Runner and I didn't know Edward James Olmos was in it until my friend Ryan and I met Edward James Olmos. And he, what? And he took his copy of Blade Runner for him to sign. And I'm like, he's is he in that? <laughs> so it's like, I, I didn't realize he was in that. So, you met Edward James almost. That's yeah, my takeaway. He's a really cool guy. I um, imagine so. I this like was, him. This was back when Selena was in theaters. Oh wow! Um, we we met him at a bar. Me and my friend. Um, he was hanging out with um, a friend's dad, so we met him there. And um, we, I was asking him lots of questions about directing, and his advice was always hire good actors. He's like, because then you won't have to work hard. Like, like that's most of your work is getting people who know what they're doing, you know. Um, uh, he was just a really cool guy. And then he made our friend's dad give us money to go see Selena in the theaters. <laughs> He's like, give them some money so they can go see Selena. Have you guys seen Selena? We're like, no, not yet. He's like, you need to see it. And he, like, made him give us money so we would go watch Selena. I think I saw Selena, like, three times at three different Spanish classes. <laughs> So it, it was, he was a really great guy. He was a really cool guy. Okay. Um, I, I think he was, if you're going to get Edward James almost in a short film, you should probably use him. Yeah. And he had two lines here and then wasn't actually involved in the main plot. It was like a cutaway to him for some reason. Like, yeah. Remember this character? The he's, other character didn't die from the first movie? He's still around three years later. He's not in 2049, I presume. Um, which is uh, how they paid him to be in I the I heard he sequel. is. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm learning lots of things about this movie that I haven't seen. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, if this were a movie that had more Edward James Olmos, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't be mad at most movies if they had more Edward James Olmos. I would agree with that. <laughs> if Bridesmaids had more Edward James almost in it, I'd be happy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if here's, here's the thing that I'm about to say, it's going to sound really weird, but I think if they did a sequel to who framed Roger rabbit, I think Edward James almost would be a great lead mm -hmm. because I think he has the same kind of conviction as Bob Hoskins, where you could believe He's there with the rabbit. Yeah. You like it's it's Bob Hoskins sells Roger Rabbit. I think Edward James almost could sell you know, Roger hanging rabbit out with too. the rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Rabbit as well. 
And Roger Rabbit 2. The sequel. Is that it? Is that the plot of Roger Rabbit 2? Roger Rabbit meets Roger Rabbit 2? <laughs> I think we need an animated prequel to the Roger Rabbit sequel so we understand what happened between the 1940s and the 19 and like the 2000s. 70s. 70s? Uh, I think they should do a reverse animated prequel where all the cartoon characters are done in live action. All the live action people are done in animation. <laughs> Neither here nor there. So, here in conclusion, Blade Runner Blackout 2022 is a film. Yes. And... It does set up a world because it defines an event and it just gets you through it. And instead of doing a regular three lines of exposition in, you know, Blade Runner 2049, it's like, here's the example. Here's, here's the example of this. Um, but it's not animated. Rogue One, Star Wars, or, I'm sorry, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Parts of it are not animated. (laughs) Parts of it are not animated. Is the equivalent, it's in the same family as these animated prequels. Because you're taking something about that world and showing us how we ended up in that world. So you're defining that world on how we ended up in a world with the Death Star, in a world with some, you know, a group of ragtag rebels actually coming together into a cohesive rebellion that's what it is or the whole series of star wars rebels like you where you're dealing with with that and i think that's the good way is they they introduce like nine new characters killed them all <laughs> but you cared about them and yes they did have a lot longer but each one you know they spent a little bit of time humanizing them i think if you had done rogue one as a 10 minute short you would have to cut out Char- most of them. Most of those character pieces. You keep your Jin or so. You keep your robot. What's his face? <laughs> I keep wanting to say K9, but he's not. It's K2. K9. K2. K2SO. See, it's too close to K9. I know. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's where we're getting. It's It's the, instead of making Rogue One... They've made these other small things to tell an event, but they could have built up the characters into something more. But can you tell a nice, big, cohesive, character-driven story in 10 minutes or less? I think you can. You can. Theater does it all the time. That's why 10-minute plays are a thing. So I think um, animators and storytellers telling these animated prequels Go to a 10-minute play festival, um, and you can learn a lot about what not to do and possibly what to do. Mm-hmm. Or just go see the, uh, I'm going to plug someone else's thing that's not us, the 19th Annual Animation Show of Shows, which is getting bigger and bigger every year, showcasing good animation in short form, as we've talked about in this podcast before. If you want to stick to animation, not theater. Also see theater, but there's also animation to see. The last thing I want to say about this is I think if you you have to make it smaller. You have to make mm-hmm. it smaller. And I think that's where some of these, like especially Blade Runner Blackout 2022, is it's trying to tell a massive story 
with two characters, but it doesn't limit what they're doing. It doesn't, it, tr- it just expands it too much. Yeah. I think it needs to simplify, simplify things, and you can tell that story a little bit better. Yeah. If there were no Trixie, I think that would have freed this up a lot. Yeah. No Trixie. Um, and tell what happened without like pausing every now and again just to give like, and then this happened. And then go to the story. And then also this happened. And that marked about the end of this. If your short animated prequel expanding the world of the story needs to have on-screen text narration to expand the world of your prequel, maybe reconsider the frame, the scope of the story you're telling. (laughs) Well, Mackenzie, did you have any favorite things from any of these shorts that you saw? I know we watched a lot of them. We did watch a lot. Um, Edward James Olmos. Edward James Olmos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you. <laughs> um, for me, I think... Gosh. I think for me, it was in the Animatrix of the um, butler robot. Just the design of these robots. I just... It, they look like the blank robots that Fry uses <laughs> yes. to get his Lucy Lubot. And, and um, so I dated a teenage robot. Is that the, the name of that yeah. episode? Which might, in fact, be inspired by the scene in the Animatrix. So that, that blank robot that he then uploads his copy of Lucy Lou, um, which was in Charlie's Angels. There we go. So it's all together and we got our Futurama episode reference that's that's good so it's a good episode um, I think the design of those robots it, it just was nice because you could see how they weren't human based they're kind of silly they're kind of cartoony and then when you see the one that actually looks like a human then it becomes a little bit more real and raw mm-hmm. so that was my favorite thing a good emotional journey <laughs> done through design Yes. Well, glad to hear. Shall we do homework time? Let's. Next time for Writers Get Animated, um, no specific homework. We're going to be doing our annual best of 2017. So watch some shows. Watch some shows that are (laughs) new this year or you think are exciting and see if we we talk about them and if we think they're new and exciting or just we have nothing strong opinion to say either way about them and mention them by name (laughs) only. I don't know. Also, one other thing about next time. We've been um, numbering our shows with three digits for a reason. And we finally are hitting that reason with our next episode. Bum, 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 bum. We've next episode is our hundredth episode. Yeah. Woo. They've been going for so long. Keep going. I'll pay you money. Woo. (laughs) So thank you to our fans for supporting us and hanging out with us as we talk about storytelling and animation and all the things that we love about those two things and keep going as we hit 
more than 100 episodes. <laughs> As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, who's been with us, helping us out. Um, as our sound engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme drums. If you have any questions about this episode or completely disagree with our takedown of animated prequels, um, which I think we have more positive things in our head than we actually said. Uh, <laughs> I would agree with that. But you can tweet at us at WG Animated on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated, and find all of our show notes on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. I was going to say, I think it'd be really fun for our listeners if we had an animated short about sitting in tip-top kitchen, coming up with the ideas for this podcast. So that way they could set up the world on how this podcast first happened. It's a lot of work between this recording and when this episode airs. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> I tried. Good night, everybody. I went to lunch with friends from work, and I'm like, oh, do you see that table right there? That's where it all started. <laughs>